Warning, this episode contains topics that may be triggering. Listener's discretion is advised. Yo, what's up, mi gente? It's Michelle, and welcome to Coño Who Am I? So the cat is out the bag, and if you heard my trailer, you might have thought I was going to be telling the story of another person. But it's me, y'all. I'm Michelle. She is her, and her is me. Through this podcast, you will get to know me on the deepest of levels. I'll be sharing some of my most vulnerable moments in life, but all in the name of self-discovery and truly to provide guidance to others. Because navigating this racist, classist, sexist, annoying-ass country that our parents told us to be thankful to be born in can be really hard. I'll let you get to know some of the dopest people I know, my best friends, as I invite each one to share a little bit about how they also got to where they are today as successful, bomb, boss-ass women, and sometimes maybe men too. And let me not forget to mention, your girl is a licensed social worker, so you know I'll be dropping some gems for y'all in each episode to carry on with you in your journey to self-discovery. I'm on a quest to empower women of color to live in their truth, power, beauty, and most authentic self, because your girl is still learning too. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Ahora vivo en Estados Unidos, pero me recuerdo mucho a mi infancia, sobre todo, sobre todo cuando yo jugaba en el parque, había muchos juegos uh, como la resbaladera, los columpios, era muy divertido y muy lindo este, esos momentos que, que vivía allá. También extraño mucho la comida, la comida de mar, sobre todo los ceviches, el pescado frito, las arroz con menestra, es algo muy rico, a mí me encanta, es, tiene una comida muy exquisita, tiene mucho sabor. Y siempre que yo viajo a mi país, lo que más como es eso, eh, sobre todo los ceviches. Y también me, me añoro mus, mucho la música, la música de recuerdo, la música vieja, de guitarra, eso me encantaba, sobre todo cuando hacían los las serenatas, que sobre todo en el Día de la Madre, en el Día del Amor, eh, eso había mucho por todas partes y, y algo muy lindo porque uno se eh, da mucha emoción ver todo eso como eh, que todavía como ese amor, esa dedicación, esa, esa preocupación hacia los demás y ahora pues eso como que se ha, se ha retirado mucho, pero esos son unos recuerdos muy lindos que están en mi mente. Bueno, eso es algo importante para mí. Gracias. Oh, my tía. María Leonor. Not to be mistaken with all the other Marías on my Ecuadorian side of the family. That's her talking about her favorite memories of Ecuador, particularly in Guayaquil, the biggest city right there on the coast and where my mom's side of the family is from. My tía has played a huge role in my upbringing. She's my mom's best friend. Not only did her and my mom grow up together in Ecuador, but they immigrated to the U.S. shortly after one another. When I still lived in Jersey, holidays were spent with my tía Maria and her mother, my tía Meche, who was my Ecuadorian family party food connoisseur, but I digress. 
Once my parents split and I started flying back to visit my father, my time was equally spent with him and my brothers as it was with my tia Maria and her daughters, mis primas. Spending time with my tia and her daughters was always the best. We all got along and my tia Maria has always treated me as one of her own, which is why my mommy chose her to be my madrina de bautizo. In Catholic words, she's my baptism godmother, which just means that if anything was to happen to my mom, basically my madrina was gonna take over my mother role. I would pretty much say she has taken that role pretty seriously. Between her and my mother, I've learned all things Ecuadorian. However, I can't say I retained this information or felt the attachment I wish I did throughout my lifespan. And trust and believe, I really have tried. When I began speaking, any language really, my Spanish particularly, had a really, really hard Dominican accent just due to my dad's dominant tongue. As my parents separated, I leaned towards more in my mom's accent. But once we moved to Washington, I was trying to assimilate to the Mexican culture. I needed to try to drop both accents if I wanted to fit in. So I tried to adopt the Mexican accent. I sounded like I was a confused little Latina mutt. But not only was my accent affected in this move, so was my access to my parents' cultures. As I mentioned before, Washington deprived me of my Dominican and Ecuadorian, anything really. But my mom refused to fully assimilate. She would make do with whatever she could, even if Washington couldn't provide it. As mommy eventually got settled in and found jobs and was making her own money, she would have my tia Maria send her East Coast slash Ecuadorian care packages to our home. These consisted of Goya seasonings that were not sold in Central or Eastern Washington. Ecuadorian mints, you know, las mentas glaciales. Ecuadorian candy, like the tango minis. Cassettes of Mark Anthony, La Sonora Dinamita. And eventually those were CDs. And of course, the cool latest hand-me-downs of all my primas who were wearing the latest trends like Guess or BB. This is how I stayed connected to all of our roots back in the East Coast and definitely how Mami stayed connected to all of her Ecuadorian roots back in the East Coast. Not to mention Mami's weekly calls to my tia that always lasted over an hour. And Mami tried to cook some of her favorite Ecuadorian meals too, like ceviche or patacones, which on my Dominican side are called tostones, seco de pollo, menestras, and so on and so forth. But let's be real, Washington didn't cater to Ecuadorians. Plus, Mami's new husband, who was Mexican, didn't like anything Ecuadorian. So Mami pretty much tried for me and herself. Don't get me started on the music that that woman would play. Era todo música tropical. All tropical music. We had cumbia, salsa, merengue, bachata. That's all that was blasting in my household. Regardless of the fact that when we would open the door and when I would step outside of our little house, no one was listening to that. And I mean... No one was listening to that. The closest thing that people were listening to that I would recognize were like Mexicanized versions of cumbia. There's actually a very awesome history behind that on how cumbia arrived to Mexico. But we'll leave that for another episode. It's safe to say I wasn't going to get anything Ecuadorian from my little town in Washington. In fact, the first time I saw other Ecuadorians in Washington was back in 2011 at a Mexican versus Ecuadorian soccer game at Questfield in Seattle. I remember the excitement running through my veins at potentially meeting other Ecuadorians in Seattle. And to my surprise, on May 28, 2011, there I was with one of my best friends in a sea of green jerseys, almost 70,000 to be exact, and like maybe a couple hundred of yellow jerseys. Those were the Ecuadorian jerseys, of course. And there I was yelling at the top of my lungs, cheering on our country with so much pride. 
My girl went with me to take pictures with all the yellow Ecuadorian jerseys we could see like from anywhere where we were standing in the stands. And I still have those pictures to this day. And I'll never forget that day because it reminded me of how much I needed my people around me. Unfortunately, Washington hasn't been the only barrier in my detachment to my Ecuadorian roots. My appearance has played a huge role in this as well, even with being bicoastal or spending more time on the East Coast. For the most part, my mommy's side of the family are all light-skinned Ecuadorian people. They all have very similar family traits, and very few of my cousins are mixed. And none of my cousins have any real ancestry that's black. In fact, I'm the only black cousin, which automatically made me different. But the component that really added to this feeling was the older generation of uncles and aunts, who would comment on what I now know was my blackness or my Dominicanness. My tios called me Negrita, which to them was simply a word of endearment, and it definitely was. But no one else would get called that, and of course that's something that I noticed. And also, neither of those tios were black themselves, so that was also noticeable. I also had a few tias who would comment on my hair, its texture, how curly it was, how big it was, what it looked like, just anything and everything. Now in retrospect, all of those things were said with no malintention, and honestly, they were from places of anti-blackness within the Latinx community, which although is a hard pill to swallow, is the reality of where these thoughts and comments were stemming from, and ultimately impacted how interconnected I was with my Ecuadorian identity. Let's not forget the influence of the outside world. Since moving to New York, I have made a very intentional effort to emerge myself in Ecuadorian things. The biggest population of Ecuadorians in New York City is in Queens. So I would take it upon myself to go to Queens and find restaurants in the summertime, go watch some Ecuadorian soccer games, etc. But I could always count on the same things happening everywhere I went. I would say, si, sí, yo soy Ecuadoriana. Yes, I'm Ecuadorian. And I was always met with the, de verdad? As in, really? And a really, really confused look on people's faces. Come on, friends. I know what that confused face meant. So I would always follow up with, Si, y también soy dominicana. And I could just tell there was this sense of relief in people's faces. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I get it. That makes sense. And I know what that meant. I see it. Si, si, yo lo veo. Okay, ya entendí. It couldn't be possible that I could just be Ecuadorian. Since moving here, I've had about six Ecuadorian Uber drivers. Don't ask me how I know that. I just be asking questions. And out of those six, only two of them didn't question me when I told them that I was Ecuadorian. And those, my friends, those are my statistics when it comes to how I'm perceived by my Ecuadorian community. So although I carry my Ecuadorian pride near and dear to my heart, and I know I'm a fellow ñañita, it's undeniable that I've navigated this world ni de aquí ni de allá, neither from here nor from there. Follow me and Jamile on how our Ecuadorianness shaped us to be the young professionals we are today. World, today I have with us one of my dearest friends, Jamile. Jamile, let's tell the world how we met. We met in 2016 in Queens. In actually. Queens, in Flushing Meadow uh, Park. There was yes, an after... earthquake relief race. And so I was taking pictures that day, and, and Michelle was part of the race, and, and we met. <laughs> 
And then, I don't know how, I ended up on your Instagram, and I added you, and we've been friends ever since. I started stalking <laughs> you, and I feel like <laughs> that's how our friendship began. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're from, how you identify. Of course, yeah. So, I am in the advertising industry. I'm an account manager and strategist. I identify as Latina Ecuadorian, and I was born in Brooklyn but raised in Queens, specifically in Corona, Queens. Shout out to Queens. So this is a great segue (laughs) that you bring up Queens, right? A, because it's where we met, and B, because it's a huge hub to Ecuadorians. Honestly, you're my first Ecuadorian friend outside of, like, my cousins. That's crazy. anyone that's in my... I know, (laughs) I know. And I think that's, like, given just, like, A, access. Like, just growing up, I didn't have access to a lot of Ecuadorians. And B, just, like, my experience. Uh, yeah, uh, there was no Ecuadorians around me. Like, my family was the only Ecuadorians that I had. But with you, I feel like things were different. And I feel like our Ecuadorianness did bond us, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't something that we, like, talked about consistently. Yeah. I was just like, it was something we just, like, knew. And I was yeah. like, yeah, we're both <laughs> nyanyas, Exactly. Like, you know? I mean, and I feel like that's something that happens with a lot of people that were born here in the United States that identify with a different ethnicity or, you know, their parents, mm-hmm. where their parents are from. And I think, for me specifically, I always gravitate towards people that are Ecuadorian because I'm like you understand like we know our cultures we know the food that we like we know how we communicate so naturally I think that's what happened to us (laughs) even even the bracelets oh yes I do remember so oh my gosh by the way I found my my Santo bracelets that like uh that you were looking for I did find them Yes, that I was looking for, like, crazy person. Yeah, so for people listening, we have in the Ecuadorian culture these bracelets that have luck charms on them. And they're kind of like, how do I explain it? Like, pressed on the bracelet. Yeah, and usually the bracelet Mm -hmm. is, like, silver. Sometimes it can be gold or, like, bronze, but usually it's silver. And then the Mm press-ons are usually what are gold or bronze. And the charms are usually some kind of saint because, Mm. you know, Catholicism. Or, like, an elephant or a money bag or or a horseshoe. So if you see someone wearing those bracelets, (laughs) it's a dead giveaway that they are Ecuadorian. That's how you know. (laughs) For sure. That's so, so yes, funny. all Ecuadorians wear those bracelets. But I'm not going to lie, girl, even having this conversation with you was a little intimidating or, you know, was going to be a little intimidating for me because when I think of you, I think of the Ecuadorian girl that I always wanted to be and the Ecuadorian girl that I mm-hmm. felt like I never achieved to be just simply because of how I navigated the world, right? With that said, right, I want you to tell us how it was for you growing up being Ecuadorian in New York and particularly in Queens. I think I had a unique experience in that my parents, you know, I was born in Brooklyn, but we had moved over to Corona, Queens when I was around five. So my whole upbringing was in Corona. And for those who don't know, Corona is largely Ecuadorian, Colombian, Mexican and Dominican. So I was always around Latinos and always felt like there was close community there of other people that were like-minded or that came from families that had similar core values, beliefs. And yeah, I think for me growing up, uh, Corona used to be primarily an Italian neighborhood. And as the years went on, it kind of transformed into what it is today. But I lived down the block from the Lemon Ice King. If you know, you know. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I went to an elementary school called PS14, which is the Fairview School. And so in, you know, while I was growing up, I had so many Latinos in my class and I had so many Ecuadorians too. So as I was mentioning to you earlier, always gravitating towards those people that were Ecuadorian and talking about our experiences. And I do remember talking a lot about Carnaval growing up with other people mm -hmm. that were, you know, with kids that were my age and be like, hey, when we go to Carnaval, we're going to try and find each other. We're going to link up our families and have a big party because Carnaval in Ecuador, it's it's you know similar to Mardi Gras in a sense that it's a huge party and it's a huge water fight and you know it's just a lot of fun but yeah I mean I always felt like there was Ecuadorians around me and being that Flushing Meadows Corona Park was right there a couple blocks away from where I lived you know I was always going there that's where I learned how to play tennis my grandfather actually sold like bottles of water and cans of soda and there was always all these vendors selling ceviche and empanadas and really I would go there to spend like my weekends there would be you know soccer games the Ecuadorian parade and festival there every year on top of the one that was in Northern Boulevard on Independence Day so yeah I think it was pretty um, which is in August by yes. the way yeah it's in August so hopefully we're able to do it again this year but I don't know. I think it was always really, really nice to be in that community because it always felt like I was kind of in a mini Ecuador in a sense. Yeah. The only time that I felt removed from that community was when I was in college. And I'm sure we'll get back into that, you know, later on in the episode. But growing up, it was it was a really great experience in that there was always people that looked like me and that were also Ecuadorian. So I had a great experience. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Where in Ecuador are your parents from? So my parents are from this province called Manaví, and it's a coastal province. My dad is from Puerto Viejo, and my mom is from Manta. So nice. yeah, that's where we have all the ceviches, the pescado frito, the menestras and encebollados, and all the good stuff. <laughs> I love mm -hmm. that. How often did you go to Ecuador growing up? Growing up, I'd say that my family would want to go like every couple of years, every like year and a half. I think it would depend on the economic situation or whatever we were dealing with at the time or what the how the holidays aligned, obviously, because yeah. my sisters and I are very separated in age. My older sister is six years older than me and my younger sister is nine years younger than me. So yeah. we were in very different stages of our lives. So we always had to account for what we were doing, right? Usually we would try to line it up with Carnaval just because we knew that all of our family members were going to be on some sort of vacation. And Carnaval is typically at the end of February or beginning of March. It was always really nice because when you would go there, the weather would be so hot. Obviously, it's like in the equator. So it's the opposite weather of what we have here. Their summer is our winter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's mm -hmm. awesome. What are your fondest memories of Ecuador? Like when you think about going being mm -hmm. over there and spending time there, what are like some of the fondest memories you have? So my dad is actually one of five siblings and he is the youngest and the only male and so all oh, wow. of my family that's still in Ecuador for the most part are females and all women and I have a bunch of cousins so every time I would go there it would really be about catching up with my cousins on all the years or all the months that we spend without talking or you know experiencing things together and I think it's a little bit of what we've been experiencing now with the pandemic and being like limited in resources while I was in Ecuador it was all about 
about spending time together, quality time, just, you know, going to La Playa, going to the Cevicheria, grabbing some lunch, grabbing some mangoes and bringing it back to the beach, you know, just really about those small intimate moments that you get to share with family, especially ones that you don't get to see that often to help build that bond. So yeah, I just remember lots of slumber parties, lots of going to the beach, getting sunburned, <laughs> and mm-hmm eating a bunch of ceviche for sure you mentioned earlier right feeling like there was a moment in time where you were disconnected to like your ecuadorianness and that was like being in college so can you tell me a little bit more about that experience for you because if i'm honest that's probably more of what my most experience <laughs> was like when i think about like my ecuadorian experience so yeah tell me more about what what that was like for you yeah so i went to a private school upstate new york and my experience there was just very different to what I had experienced growing up in New York. Generally, obviously, we know New York is such a diverse place. And so going upstate and being... New York City, everybody. New City. York City. We're Sorry. talking about the five boroughs, <laughs> right? Because everyone wants to get this confused. It's, New yeah. York City, the five <laughs> boroughs, Staten Island, that barely counts, but Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, and Manhattan, all right? And she's talking about uh, Queens in yes. particular right yes. now. And she was upstate uh-huh. New York, very far Very upstate. far. I was up in Syracuse, so. There you yeah. go. The contrast between being in New York City with people that look completely different from you all the time from different races, different colors, and then going upstate to a predominantly white institution was kind of a culture shock for me because I was never Uh used to being an other or being like different or looking different and acting different, speaking different, right? Because we have our New York slang too. And and I feel like I also have an Ecuadorian accent as well. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, that was a little bit of a struggle for me because I had never felt like I wasn't part of a community wherever I lived or wherever I was. I never felt that. So going there and being in a classroom, for example, with 300 students and me being one of 10 people of color was just very strange. It, it just made me feel uncomfortable. And I was just like, oh, do I belong here? Do I want to be here? I, I just had never experienced that. So it was also adjusting. But I recognized that I was privileged in, in being able to get this type of education and going there and getting that experience. So it was a lot to kind of navigate through. But there was a little community that was of Latinos in Syracuse, but they were primarily Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. So very, oh, very really? few. Yeah. Uh, specifically from the Heights and from the Bronx, actually. Oh, that's so So it's like a micro culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super interesting. So yeah, there were very few Ecuadorians that I met. Actually, my best friend, we stalked each other on Instagram because we were like, oh my God, she's a Latina. She's Ecuadorian. Oh my God. And we just became friends that way. Right, right. <laughs> so that was a little bit of my experience. I mean, it was a, a struggle for four years, but I think that I gained a lot during my time there. And it actually helped me transition into the world that I work in and the career that I chose. Because even in advertising, I am one of very few people of color, especially in the discipline that I'm in, in account management. So I always think that it helped me a little bit. For sure. And speaking of which, what makes you the most proud of being Ecuadorian? (laughs) Like if you had to sum, if you had to sum that up and like speak on that, what is something that you're most proud of? I think 
for me, being around diversity has always been so important to me. Being around people that have different opinions, that look different, act different than me is always great because it's broadened my, my perspective and how I think. And for me, when I think about my Ecuadorian side, what makes me the most proud is, is not only having that diversity within like everything that we have in the food, in the music, but really seeing how diverse Ecuador itself is as a country. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about different biological diverse ecosystems, right? Because we have Galapagos, we have the Pacific coastline, we have the mountain region, and then the Amazon. The Andes. Yeah, so we have so many different different regions and I appreciate that because when you talk about Ecuadorians we don't all look the same either we don't talk the same either and and I find that a few times like some people say oh you don't look Ecuadorian I'm like I don't understand I think there's a false perception that Ecuadorians only look like people that come from the mountain region (laughs) you Uh know I also think that there's, I think people also have this misunderstanding of how immigration patterns Mm -hmm. work. Because the reality is, is that the people who immigrate from Ecuador, there's certain people who immigrate from Ecuador. Let's keep it real, right? There's two, two sides of people who immigrate from Ecuador and half of them are indigenous and the other half are coastal, right? But that's not all of Mm -hmm. Ecuador. Like, there are black people in Ecuador. Hello, Esmeraldas. Like, if more Esmeraldas people were here, I would not have a problem (laughs) navigating as an Ecuadorian, okay? But there aren't because those people don't immigrate to the United States. They usually just stay in Ecuador, right? Yes, like, we have this huge, diverse group Mm -hmm. of people. And so, like, yeah, if you don't fit the mold of what a coastal Ecuadorian Mm -hmm. looks like or this, like, Andean Ecuadorian person looks like, then all of a sudden you're, like, not Ecuadorian. But it's, like, uh, there isn't really a mold for that, you know? For such a small country, like, we have, yeah, a diverse group of people, right? Yeah, and I... I remember the first time that I saw someone that, you know, someone from Esmeralda that I didn't know was Ecuadorian. I was just like, huh, I've never seen like a black person in Ecuador. And I had to, and I told my dad, I was like, oh, where do you think he's from? He's like, oh, he's from here. He's from Ecuador, but he's from Esmeralda. And so that was a learning for me when I was younger that there are other people, even outside of the coastal ones, the mountain ones, (laughs) that don't look like them either. So Uh it's just super dumb. Diverse and, and that's why I appreciate it so much, honestly. I think the other side of it is that my parents, from the very start, obviously, and, and growing up, the Ecuadorian culture has always been really ingrained into who I am as a person from being very close with my family and having that relationship with them to making sure that we're that we're following the same traditions, right? That we're eating the same foods, you know, ceviche on Sundays and cebollado the day after a party, go to beaches, you know, with some coffee on a Friday, just things like that. And I really appreciate that because I know that I know that other cultures also have similar traditions, but this one, obviously, because I grew up with it, has special meaning to me. Yeah, and I'm sure it's something, like, you want to keep within your lineage forever. Of course. It's something that I think about, too, right? Even something as trivial as I talk about this earlier in the episode you know the little menta yeah. <laughs> like so I know random. people think that that's so I no, know but it's I so think funny but are probably it's like so random and corny but like <laughs> Those mentas have such, like, a special heart. The like, a, a special ones, place right? in my heart. It's yes. so funny. Wow. Yes. That just clicked. Like, I knew exactly what you were talking about. 
<laughs> yes, yes. They're like las mentas glaciales is mm-hmm. what they're called or whatever. And like I used to eat that shit up when I was. First of all, it's nasty. It's not even that good. But like I used to eat that <laughs> shit up when I was little because I was like, oh, it's candy, even though it's not really. It's yeah. Candy. Okay, it's not that. It's not that good. But like it, I think it's just nostalgic. And, like, I'm, like, that's something that I want to have in my household. Like, you know how, like, um, in fancy households, they have, like, the clear jars yes. of all, like, the uh-huh. candies? <laughs> I'm, like, my shit's going to have, like, uh, mentas glaciales inside of them. Can we add, can we add tangos like, in there, too, please? Yeah, the tango, <laughs> the tango minis. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So, like, those things, you know, even it's, like, the little things like that that count, yeah. you know, that keep, like... I don't know, those generational traditions going. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to keep those going, too. Like, even two years ago, I, I learned how to make ceviche. I asked my mom, please teach me because I want to keep this going. And I keep mentioning ceviche, but it's just, like, such an important part of my ceviche life. Ceviche <laughs> is, like, no, no, no. But also, okay, because, like, it's interesting because you can say ceviche, and I feel like in Latin uh-huh. America, everyone has their own Very true. version of it or whatever. But I'm like... But do you know Ecuadorian ceviche, though? Because it is different, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I've had other ceviches, and usually, like, if we keep it real, I feel like other ceviches um, incorporate a lot of, like, spice Mm -hmm. sometimes. And I was like, Ecuadorian ceviche doesn't need that, (laughs) It doesn't need any of those things, because it's just And for me, ceviche is, like, fish. It's not shrimp, for me, personally. It could mm-hmm, be mm-hmm. shrimp, but the way that my mom makes it is with fish. And so I learned how to make it like two years ago. And then recently I learned how to make torta de platano, which is, Ooh. it sounds it sounds weird, but take it with a grain of salt, everyone. It's <laughs> platano rallado, which is, um, ¿cómo se dice platano rallado? Great, grated, grated, yes. Grated plantains. Oh, okay. There you go. Grated plantains, canned tuna, peanut butter, sazón. It's just like everything mixed up. So you have onions, green peppers that you would blend, obviously. And then you put the peanut butter, the tuna, the grated plantains, and then you put it in the oven. And it's supposed to be like a savory dish that you have either on the weekends or late night with coffee. And so I recently learned how to make it and it was so good. I swear to God, my family was like, your mom has competition. And I was like, you bet she does. Oh, shoot. (laughs) There you go. Okay, so when you're back in the city, basically, you just need to have, like, an Ecuadorian night where you come in, you teach me stuff, and we cook. I feel like mommy tried, right? But we were in Washington, so, like, I talked about this earlier, too. It's like, we were limited in in Mm -hmm. produce with, like, the things that we could buy out there because I feel like the produce was all very Mexican. You know, I couldn't really start cooking Ecuadorian food until I was out here, and, like, by that time, mommy wasn't out here, so I'm just kind of like, ugh, fuck. Like, unfortunately, I feel like now I'm, like, leaning towards having to cook a lot of Dominican Mm -hmm. food. And I definitely want to cook more Ecuadorian food. Actually, by the way, here, not too far from me, there is this Ecuadorian restaurant. Yes. And I go get caldo de bolas all the time. And they're all, you're like, they're like, yo, you're like the only chick who comes and orders this Mm. shit. I'm like, first of all, because it's fucking boring, okay? (laughs) Second of all, Tell the people what caldo de bola is. I feel like, and also, caldo de bolas is another, I feel like it's another one of those dishes that every Latin American country has their own mm-hmm. version of. Like, for other places, I think they call it, like, albondigas, mm-hmm. yes. right? Like, I 
So it's kind of, it's like a, a, like a meatball soup. But instead of meatballs, I think there's like a combination of like, it's like potatoes and, and you could use yuca too and, and onions and tomatoes. It just, it's, it's a mixture. You make these, these balls out of all these different vegetables and, or meat Mm -hmm. in a combination of that, right? So you create these meatballs on the side and then you have your stew that you create too, right? And you put your balls in your stew. And that's essentially all it is, right? It's a stew with these meatballs and or vegetable balls or potato balls, whatever. It's so delicious. Good. It's what my my mom would call levanta, oh, levanta muerto. muerto. It's like, like after, after you've been hungover <laughs> and partied, that's what you would it? eat. It's mad good. It's also just good exactly. in general, though. So that's one of my favorite. It's, it's so it's good. nutritious. And umitas. I feel like umitas is like, mm-hmm. I need to learn how to make that because I think that's the one for me. I mean, I think ceviche for sure, but like umitas is something that I feel like is so close and dear to my heart. I'm like, mommy, can we please have umitas? <laughs> the umitas are like the dessert bits, right? They're like bite-sized no, desserts. No, they're the, they look like tamales, but they're like stuffed with cheese. Okay. Ooh, see, I, there's some things that yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, they're, they're mad good. It's like <laughs> low-key, like, mozzarella tamales. But they're, like, sweet. But how do you make it? Is it with, like, plantains? The stuff that they make cachapas with, that's kind of the stuff that you're making these umitas with. Oh, okay, now I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Like, the texture and it but tastes it's sweet. like corn. It's okay, sweet. yes. And, it, and it's okay. shaped, like, it's sweet shaped corn. like un tamal. It's so good. Got it. And I know what you're talking and it's about. Stuffed now. in a little, in a little, in a leaf. Uh huh. And then inside it has just cheese, Ecuadorian cheese. Yeah, maybe we need to have an Ecuadorian night and just try and make all these. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thanks for being on today, Damile. And I'm just really of proud course. to call you my friend. And I'm so happy that you were able to be here with us today. Yes, no problem. I'm excited to be here. Please refer to episode 2 for the full definition of cultural identity. However, in summation, some key tips to keeping us psychologically healthy through the process of developing cultural identity are cultivating strong and positive relationships with people who identify with our national background, choosing the rituals and traditions of that culture that resonate best with you and incorporating them into your daily routines. For example, I like to listen to salsa when cooking. Creating healthy boundaries with people around you who might not be who you might not be able to permanently remove from your life, but who you can definitely take breaks from. Visiting places that remind you of your culture. This could be a park, a restaurant, a family member's home. But most importantly, be who you are in the skin that you're in, because there isn't another you boo, and that's on period. Although I am a licensed social worker. My advice does not replace that advice of a therapist that you may be seeing or a therapist you would like to see in the future. Anyone could be struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. If you are having suicidal feelings, please call 1-800-273-8253. Come back next week and see how the hood was not just a place, but how it became a lifestyle for this young girl and which bestie I get to deep dive with. See you all next week. Happy listening.
Mi gente, make sure you subscribe, follow, and review Coño Who Am I wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, you can also find me at Kono Who Am I on Instagram. And that's spelled C-O-N-O because Instagram doesn't believe in Enyes. Tune in next week. Peace, y'all.